Hello and welcome to Beta Cells to Bicycles, the official podcast of the BC Diabetes Research Network. I'm Krista Lamb and today I'm talking to Dr. Rachel Murphy. Dr. Murphy is an assistant professor at the University of British Columbia. She specializes in how nutrition can impact chronic disease. I'm super excited to have her on the show today to talk about type 2 diabetes prevention. Welcome, Dr. Murphy. Thank you for having me. So let's talk a little bit about nutrition and type 2 diabetes because a lot of people have the idea that we could just not have type 2 diabetes if we exercise more and we eat less. But I think we know it's a lot more complicated than that. And so can you talk a little bit about what your work is in that area? Sure. So it is it is more complicated than just simply eating better um, and exercising. Um, we do know that there are lots of different factors that predispose people to diabetes as well as other chronic diseases. So we know, for example, things like genetics play a role, um, even how... Um, somebody's microbiome um, is the composition of the microbiome can also interact with things. So there are lots of different factors, but diet and physical activity and body weight are some of the really ubiquitous uh, risk factors for many different chronic diseases. And that's why we tend to focus on them. And you mentioned the microbiome and if someone was listening and they didn't understand what that was, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. Those are the microbes or the bacteria that live in different areas of your body. So a lot of research has been, um, paid to the microbiome specifically in the GI tract. So, um, so thinking about the, the microbes and the bacteria that are actually in your, in your poop. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that's something that I think is really interesting to people. And you do look a lot, um, at how nutrition and chronic disease are linked. Mm -hmm. So do you want to tell me just a little bit about some of the work that you're doing in that area? Because it's not just about diet, but diet plays a, a part. Sure. So a lot of my work really focuses on diet, but also diet and the interaction with our body. So we know that uh, what somebody eats uh, and how their body metabolizes it differs from individual to individual. So some of the work that I'm doing at is looking at dietary patterns and dietary intake. Um, so thinking about specific nutrients as well as the overall diet um, and how that influences metabolism. So looking at biomarkers in the blood as well as um, biomarkers in other systems. So like I mentioned, the microbiome, for example, um, and trying to understand what the mechanisms are that link diet to reduced chronic disease. So things like diabetes as well as cancer. And so if someone was listening and they were living with type 2 diabetes, for example, and they were thinking, okay, are there things that I could be doing to improve my health um, based on what you've been studying? Is there anything that you would suggest? Absolutely. So I think diet is, um, for lack of a better word, easy, one of the easier risk factors to modify. That said, um, you know, we of course realize that actually changing your diet is, is quite difficult, especially to do it in the long term. Um, but things that we generally recommend are, you know, focusing on your overall dietary pattern. So try not to focus on, you know, not including a single food or, you know, what is the superfood that I should be eating. It's more around your overall dietary pattern. So what is your actual diet look like? And thinking about chronic illness, I know you've also done some work in cancer and how your diet can impact your cancer risk. And so can you tell me a little bit about that work? Sure. So I think um, one of the things that I would like to highlight actually is that the recommendations for prevention of cancer are very similar to what they are for prevention of diabetes as well as for heart disease. So if we think about um, eating to prevent cancer, you're actually really benefiting uh, multiple different chronic diseases. So I think that's kind of a nice way to think about it is it's, 
it's not to prevent one disease. It's really, um, you know, could have a, a wide benefit on, on your health overall. Um, so a lot of my research is focused on, um, you know, what are some of the healthy dietary patterns that might help people to reduce their cancer risk, um, as well as understanding how dietary habits help to reduce the risk. So getting at more of that mechanisms um, that are involved. And when you look at, I mean, because I think one of the things that's interesting to me is that when you think about cancer, it's not something that you associate necessarily with lifestyle. Whereas with diabetes, there's much more stigma around it and there's a lot more of an association, at least in the general public, um, with lifestyle. And so have you found that there's been any resistance to people thinking about cancer and nutrition just because it's something that I don't think is as publicly associated? Um, I don't know if I would agree with you on that, actually. So I think um, there's been some pretty well-publicized studies looking at, um, so for example, a few years ago, red meat and processed meat were identified by the World Cancer Research Foundation International as being carcinogenic, so meaning that they cause cancer. Um, There's, you know, as as trying to think back, um, you know, many, many decades ago that there was um, some work done that proposed that about up to 70% of cancers were actually related to diet. So I think maybe there's less stigma around um, around it compared to diabetes, but um, it's been known for, for many decades that diet and body weight do play very important roles in, in the development of many of the most common cancers. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, I think the point that I was kind of going for was that we often blame people for mm-hmm. developing type 2 diabetes, right. where we would never blame someone for developing cancer. And I think that's one of the areas where we could do some work in terms of how we talk to people about these things, because I think that, um, you know, for all healthcare providers, that's something that maybe it's something that we could be talking about a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're really, you're right. And I would liken that to um, lung cancer, for example. You know, one of the things that if you speak to a lung cancer survivor, they always say, please don't ask people who were diagnosed with lung cancer if they've smoked mm-hmm. because you're putting the blame on that person. You know, nobody wants to be diagnosed with cancer. Nobody wants to be diagnosed with diabetes. So I think that's a very unfair, um, you know, uh, to, to use language around that and that we need to be compassionate and sympathetic that, you know, it's not as simple as saying, well, you chose the wrong foods or, you know, you have an overweight or obese body mass index. So that in some way means that you were, you know, well, then you're going to get diabetes and you should have known better. You know, I think that's a very simplistic view of things. You know, we live in a very obesogenic environment. Um, You know, we have to eat. Food is very much a part of our culture and our social environment. So there's a lot of complex factors that play into, you know, some of our, our behaviors and it's not as simple as making choices. And I think that's one of the great things about the research that you're doing is it does bring to light that there are these implications to diet, but also you work alongside a lot of other researchers who are doing a lot of other work. So things like looking at, you know, access and availability Mm -hmm. to food, because it's really easy to say that we should eat healthier, but if you don't have the financial ability to purchase healthy foods, or you live in a community where you don't have access to healthy foods, such as the Northern communities, Mm -hmm. then you might not have the ability to do that. And so I think it's really great that we're kind of doing those things at the institute in tandem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that's um, one of the pushbacks that we get sometimes from going in the communities is they say, you know, we don't really want to be told what it is that we should be eating. We know what it is that we should be eating, but what we need is help with eating in, in that um, type of way. So we really need broad structural changes so that the cost of a cheeseburger is similar to a cost of a salad. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's um, a big societal problem, I think. But as we start to see more research on both of those areas, I think we're hopefully, fingers crossed, going to start to see a little bit of a shift there. Um, And I wanted to ask you a little bit because I know um, BC is considered to be one of the most healthy provinces in Canada Mm -hmm. for many reasons. It's a very walkable and, you know, health-focused province, and there's been some really great policies put in place in the province. And are there any things that are happening here that you'd like to see adopted across the rest of Canada or that you're particularly excited about? I mean, I think some of the, the initiatives that Vancouver has been involved with, so um, the, the Healthy Cities Initiative, for example, that's trying to improve um, green space and walkability, you know, some of the, the considerations around um, building communities as well. So there's some bylaws in place that, you know, um, are... I'm trying to think of the words. <laughs> um, are legislating, you know, how many um, parks need to be in a certain area and things like that. I think those are all helpful. Um, I do think that there's a lot of health disparity still within our province. So I think that's the one thing that I would caution is, um, you know, there there is still incredible disparity um, in some of our health indicators. So if we look even at um, the cost of healthy foods within our province varies dramatically. Um, you would expect, you know, not surprisingly, that the cost is much higher in northern BC. It's higher on the island as well. So I think, you know, as as good as we are doing in terms of a national landscape, I don't think that we should pat ourselves on the back too much. There's still an awful lot of work to do. Um, and you do see a lot of disparities within Vancouver as well. You know, I think a lot of people are surprised to see that. We think of Vancouver as being a very affluent city. And well, it, it is, of course, there is great disparity um, and you do see that um, you know in the community and I think that's something that we we can't turn a blind eye to. And in the work that you're doing are you doing any work with um, talking to policymakers or things like that in terms of how to change those disparities or are you working looking more at the um, the science behind it? Yeah so most of what I do is generating evidence to inform those conversations. Um, we do work um, with the uh, um, scientific director for cancer prevention who's based at the BC Cancer Agency Um, I'm based at the BC Cancer Agency part-time so some of the work that we're doing is really trying to inform prevention strategies Um, I've been fortunate to do some work with the food skills for families program which was formerly at Diabetes Canada but is now with PHSA Um, and they've been doing um, some really fantastic work trying to access some of these more vulnerable populations so they offer free programs um, trying to improve um, food skills uh, and food literacy among people who, um, you know, might be new immigrants as well as um, specific kind of low-income populations as well. So I think that's more kind of I think on, on the ground rather than the public policy side of things. But showing the efficacy of those programs, so showing that people are accessing that, really helps to show the demand and and buys in support from the higher levels. Yeah, and it's really interesting that you mentioned Food Skills for Families because that's a program that started in BC and mm-hmm. it is a really transformative program for those people that are able to access it in mm-hmm. terms of, um, you know, it's giving people the skills they need to cook using what they have available to them and to try and cook healthy um, meals. And so that's something that I think is a great thing for whether it be seniors or people who are living by themselves or mm-hmm. people who are, are from a low socioeconomic background or um, indigenous communities. There's so many different opportunities to try and learn to cook in ways that are 
um, accessible because you have access to the things that you're learning to cook with. Mm-hmm. And we really don't do a very good job of teaching people to cook anymore. <laughs> so I think that's a great thing too. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely part of it is you need to, the skills to implement, you know, all these recommendations that we're giving. You know, it's hard if you just are eating out or eating on the go, you know, trying to encourage people to, you know, learn how to grocery shop, learn how to prepare food at home and adapt recipes so that they can be healthier. Um, and that's something that's Food Schools for Healing and Lace has done a very good job of. So we're in, in the midst of wrapping up our, our evaluation of that program. And, you know, um, uh, it's still kind of in progress right now. But, I mean, certainly from going out to the sites and speaking with the participants and collecting the data, you know, people were so grateful to have a program like that. Yeah, and I mean, I think it also sort of showcases the importance of the research that you guys are doing in, you know, at the um, Diabetes Network and being able to look at some of these things that are able to inform those programs. So I think it's a really nice way to see how the different programs complement each other because I don't know that everybody always understands the science underlying some of these amazing programs. And so I think it's great that we we get to talk about that a little bit today. Thank you. So I think one of the things I wanted to ask before we wrap up today is um, the podcast, obviously, we're looking at the BC Diabetes Research Network, and Mm -hmm. I think it's a really exciting time. And so how has being part of this network and having sort of the ability to work with so many different clinicians and scientists and, and different people in the field helped your work? I mean, I think it's been really helpful to get a different perspective. So, um, you know, the, the network has really brought together a lot of people who would have otherwise not sat in the same room together. Um, you know, I come from a population health background, um, and, you know, I'm, a- I'm able to connect with people who are clinicians, who are clinical researchers, who are basic researchers. Um, and I think that's really important because if we think about tackling such a complex problem like diabetes, you know, we really need a coordinated effort. So from my perspective, you know, it's helpful to look at population trends and the public health aspect of things, but we also need to understand, you know, some of the observations that we're seeing. So we need input from people who have models that can answer these questions um, so that this can kind of, kind of feedback and inform where we should be targeting our efforts. So I think without this, I, I probably wouldn't have been pulled into the, you know, the same room as these people. I think that's been incredibly helpful. UBC and BC in general is, is such a large place that, you know, we can work in, on the same campus or, you know, just down the road, but we, we don't tend to cross paths unless there's a reason to. So I think that the network's been incredibly helpful for that. Um, I think that's it's such a wonderful opportunity to, for everybody to come together and to talk about some of the things that can really help people living with diabetes or those who are at risk. And so my last question for you today is um, on the uh, this episode is, what would some of your takeaways, if someone's listening to this and they're living with or at risk, and we talked a little bit earlier about nutrition, are there other things that you would suggest to them that they might want to be able to think about outside of just nutrition? Sure. So, I mean, I think... Um healthy body weight, physical activity are some of the the key factors. I mean, I would say that it's important to start small. You know, we're not asking somebody to, you know, go run a marathon or anything like that. I think that sometimes the the barriers to change, behavior change, are that it's so overwhelming to think about the changes that need to be made. Um, But even small steps can help, um, you know, figuratively and literally there. Um, and, you know, to seek out help for this, you know, there are some people, experts out there that can help with things like physical activity. If you're not an active person, or even if you are an active person, but you're looking for more ways to fit into your schedule, thinking about diet as well, there's wonderful resources out there. Um, 
registered dietitians would be a logical place. Um, but even, you know, things like grocery stores offer tours led by registered dietitians that can help you learn how to shop the grocery store and where to focus and where to avoid and things like that. Like, I think there are a lot of actionable tips that will help you kind of down this, this healthy lifestyle. Yeah, I think that small steps is a very big uh, and very important thing because I think often we get very overwhelmed by the idea that we have to do all of these things and change all of these things, but often we're not as successful unless we start small and kind of build from there. Mm -hmm. And having taken one of those grocery store uh, tours, (laughs) they're really helpful. (laughs) So those are, I think, wonderful tips. So thank you so much for joining us today. It was wonderful to talk to you about this. And you've been listening to Beta Cells to Bicycles, a podcast from the BC Diabetes Research Network. If you'd like more information on the network, visit diabetesbc.ca. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.